This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. Lazarus is dead. These are the words that Jesus was told as he was waiting in Bethbara. He was waiting for his, with his disciples there in a neighboring town. Bethany was not too far away, the town of Bethany. There in Bethany were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, a family that he, had, he was very dear unto and close to. He loved them. And Mary and Martha had sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. They come to him and say, Lord, the one whom, you, whom thou lovest is sick, sick unto death. And Jesus waited. Two days he waited. He knew this sickness was not unto death, but in John chapter 11, we, we find this account. And, and Jesus knew that this sickness was not unto death. He knew that this was for the glory of God, and he had an opportunity to, to do something to glorify God. But they come asking for Jesus' help, his help, but instead he waits. And he tells his disciples, Lazarus is dead. As he makes his way towards Bethany, they come in and rush in to Martha and Mary, and they say, He is coming. Martha rushes out to meet him in the way. And she must have been wondering why. I think any of us would. Why did you wait so long to come? We sent you word. It's not that far. Why didn't you come? And she, she talks to him and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She knew the power that this man had. She knew who it was that she was speaking to. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. Now, I think she says this in a little bit of disbelief, not knowing and believing truly that Jesus could raise him back from the dead instantly. She knew that he could heal his sickness, but I don't think she understood the power that Jesus had over life and death. And she believes in the resurrection, for sure. She tells him so. She says that I know that he will be raised again in the resurrection the last day. But she really didn't understand the significance of Jesus and the resurrection. And I think that we fail to understand the significance of Jesus and the resurrection, how central it is to our faith, and what He means to the resurrection, and how He accomplished the resurrection, and how we can be a part of the resurrection, and ensure that we also have life. Because what He tells her next is simply remarkable. And we'll read in John chapter 11, there in verse 25, He says unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? This is the question that he posed to her as she comes and, and she laments the fact that her brother is dead. And if Jesus had been there, he wouldn't have died. But she knows that she'll see him at the resurrection. And then Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection. I am the power of, of life. And whoever believes in me will not die. And he poses that question to her. Do you believe this? He knew that she had some doubt because she didn't really understand Jesus and the resurrection properly. And I think that we failed to as well. And so that's the question that I want to pose to you this morning. Do you believe this? As we talk about Jesus and the resurrection, we're going to look and explore the scriptures and say what it says about Jesus, how we accomplished the resurrection, the things that were accomplished by his resurrection, how we can be a part of the resurrection. And our duty as those that are members of that, of that union do you believe this? This is a question that you have to answer and examine for yourself. And think about this as we continue on through this lesson. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection? Answer that for yourselves as we go through this study. 
I think it's important to have a little bit of a backdrop to understand the significance of the resurrection. And how did we get to this point where here this man, Jesus, is standing with this woman, Martha, saying, I am the resurrection and the life? How did we get up to this point? Uh, I want to read a few verses just to give us a bit of background for the resurrection. In Genesis chapter 1, we're going to go way back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, when God created mankind, God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. When God created Adam and Eve, when he created the first man and woman in, 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 in the world, he made them from the dust of the ground and he breathed into their life, the, the, into their nostrils, the breath of life. And he created male and female and made him in their image. And he gave them responsibility to have dominion over the world. He gave them a specific duty because they were created in the image of God. And, and in, in that image, they were supposed to uphold holiness and righteousness and godliness in this world as representatives of God in this world. This was the intention of humanity. This is what we're made to be. This is what we're supposed to be. This is what God intends for us and, and who we truly should be. Yet we know in the account of Genesis, as Adam and Eve lived, that the serpent came. That wicked one came, deceiving them, attempting to gain their worship and make himself God and have him and then attempting to make them gods. And he tempts them with power. God had given them a commandment not to eat of the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, here comes Satan telling them, if you do this, you are going to gain power. God is holding you back. Eat of this fruit, and you will be like God. He tempts humanity. You, a mere human, can elevate yourself to the status of God if you eat this fruit. And of course they did. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for, all, for that all have sinned. It was a trick. They didn't gain power. All they gained was sin and death. And because of that, they established a pattern. God created humanity. The proper order for humanity is to live in faith and obedience and holiness to God. But Adam and Eve broke that, and they created a new path, and that is to, to sin and disobey God. And so sin and death passed upon all men, and it became a snare unto the, to humanity. And it's a snare that still uh, affects us to this day. And we have sins, the problems we see in the world, all of the, the, the evil that we see in the world is a result of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Now, God steps in at the very beginning, and He knew. In fact, the Bible says before the foundation of the world, He knew what His plan was going to be, to rescue humanity. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we receive a promise from God. This is the first prophecy about Christ coming into the world. And so he gives this prophecy in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is Jesus, or this is God rather, pronouncing judgment upon the serpent and saying, A human life messed this all up. They disobeyed, but a human life is going to come and fix it. I'm going to put enmity. There's going to be conflict now between the serpent and the woman's seed. And that's very specific language, between thy seed and her seed. And, and although the serpent was going to strike the heel 
and that would, be, that would hurt and be painful. This seed of the woman was going to bruise his head or crush his head and, and ultimately defeat that serpent. And so, so from the very beginning of the scriptures, if we were to lay out the Bible in a, in a simple illustration as a timeline, what we see is there are, there are three distinct sections as we kind of look at the story of the scriptures. There's the patriarchal age beginning with Adam and going on into to the stories that we read about Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And it ends with Moses receiving the law, and that instituted a new time period, that is the Mosaic uh, time or the Mosaic age. And that's when, when they lived under subjection to the old law, the law that God gave to them through Moses, and there at Sinai. And then we see accounts that, that go on as they wander through the wilderness, as God is leading them to the promised land, leads them there. And then they rebel against God and they establish a kingdom. Then the kingdom divides and they go into bondage. And, and you see uh, people like the prophets, uh, Ezekiel and uh, Isaiah and Daniel and the kings like David and Solomon in that time period. And that leads us all the way up to the point of Christ coming into the world. And when he died, remember we read in Hebrews chapter 9, last time as we partake of communion, when Jesus shed his blood, he became the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, he would establish this new covenant. And so he establishes the new law, and we enter now into the Christian age, and that will lead us to the end, that is the judgment. So the patriarchal and mosaic, that's the, the days of the Old Testament, and everything under Christ is the New Testament. And so <clears throat> that's kind of a simple uh, simplified illustration to show you kind of the big picture of the scriptures. Now, at the very beginning at creation, after they sinned, God pronounced a judgment against the serpent. And what we see in the story of the scriptures is God in, enacting that plan and carrying out that plan of redemption to bring this promised seed throughout the story of the scriptures. And so what we see is this promise is the main thread that's woven throughout all of the story of the scriptures. And in the Old Testament, we see God instructing His people on how to be holy as He is holy. He's leading them to, to holiness and trying to, to teach them how to be holy. He gives them the law so that they can have life, is what He tells them. And even in the book of Deuteronomy, as He gives Moses and the, the Israelites the law. He wants people to be holy as He is holy. We see God interacting with His people, blessing them for their obedience. And, and, when, and when they would disobey, they would befall, uh, evil would befall them and curses would befall them. And then we see God leading His people, carrying them forward to the fulfillment of this promise of redemption. The promise to reverse the curse that Adam and Eve brought upon humanity because of their sin and disobedience. And what we also see in the story is the, not only God's response to evil and God's action and that He takes and, and, and the instruction He provides to bring humanity to holiness. We see mankind's response. And sometimes it's ugly. And it's sad. Because humanity just fails time and time again. At times, the people are faithful and obedient. They follow God, they obey Him, and they succeed. And at other times, they're unfaithful. They're disobedient. They, they even, uh, at times, just totally depart from God and choose instead to serve idols. Heartbreaking. Man was created in the image of God, and here they depart and instead worship an image that was created by man to elevate themselves. Now, Paul teaches that everything that took place in the days of the Old Testament with Moses and the law and, and Abraham and all the things, all the prophets and the law are pointing forward to Christ. So when we're reading things in the accounts of the Old Testament, 
it's all pointing forward to the time where God would bring about this promised man, this seed of a woman that was going to come and, and to fulfill the, the promise of crushing the serpent. In Acts chapter 26, verse 22, it says, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue to this day witnessing to both small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. And what is it that he explains that Moses and the prophets did say should come? That Christ should suffer, that he should be the first to rise from the dead, and to show light to the people and to the Gentiles. This, was, this is the, the story of the scriptures encapsulated in this one phrase or this one uh, passage here that Paul speaks as he's on trial, giving a, a, an account and making his defense for the things that he was doing. The Jews had falsely accused him, but he's saying, I'm not teaching anything other than what the prophets and Moses themselves said was going to come. Jesus was going to come and die and be raised again from the dead. And in doing that, he would show light to the people and to the Gentiles. And, and make reconciliation for all people and, and reconcile all and bring them all into the banner of his authority. This is what the prophets and Moses said would come. And so this is the backdrop. As we think about Jesus here having this conversation with this woman, Martha, as she is saying to him, I know that he's going to rise in the last day. And Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection. And if you believe in me, you will not die. And he asks her, do you believe this? <clears throat> now we'll take a look at Jesus. How did he fulfill God's promise? How is it that, that this man, Jesus, coming into the world, fulfills the promise that God made way in the days of the Old Testament, and the, the creation, when he pronounced judgment against the serpent and said, the seed of the woman would come and crush the, your head? How is it that Jesus is a fulfiller of that? Well, I think we have to understand who Jesus is to really understand and grasp the significance of him coming into the world and dying and fulfilling this promise as Paul says he did. In first or rather in John chapter one, verses one through four, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, the Word. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. This is Jesus that is, this is speaking of. How do we know that? Well, verse 14. It says, And the Word, this same Word that He says, was God and is God and was there in the beginning and created all things and is life and life is the light of men. He says, This Word was made flesh and it dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word was made manifest as flesh and came into this world. And we knew that person as Jesus. And so Jesus is much more than a mere man. He is God himself coming in the flesh and in the form of God or in the, in the form of leaving the form of God and coming into the form of man. He comes into this world. He is life. He became a, a human. He, came, he became flesh and blood. He became born of a woman. He is the seed of the woman, right? He left all His glory in heaven to come here and be a poor and lowly servant. And in that bodily form is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. As it says in Colossians 2 verse 9, In Him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the, the, the fullness of the spiritual being that is God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, dwells in Christ in a bodily form. How amazing is that? That Jesus would leave the glory of heaven and become a man to, to fulfill this mission, because this was his mission. 
In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus' entire purpose for coming into this world was to destroy the works of the devil, and in doing that, washing away our sins and giving us hope and freeing us from the bondage of death, because that's what He did, and that's how he, what He accomplished through death. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He Himself likewise took part of the same. He, t- he took part of flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him that had power of, the, of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see, death and sin became a snare to humanity, but Jesus, because he came and lived as a human and died and was raised up, broke that power and destroyed him who had power over death, it says, the devil. He crushed the head of the serpent in the act of dying and being raised again to life. Even as a man, Jesus was subject to death like we are. But because he's God, he had the power to take up his life again. In John chapter 10, verse 17, it says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my Father. The only reason that Jesus was able to rise up from the dead, because he had the power to take up his life again. Because he is life. And that's how Jesus is the resurrection. He lays down his life as a man, willingly subjects himself to death as a man, and was raised up. And because he was raised up from death to eternal life as a man, death no longer has dominion over him. And because he did it as a human, he broke the the grip that death had over all human life. In Romans chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more, Death hath no more dominion over him. Death has no more power over Christ. He was raised up to live in eternal life. He was the first to rise from the dead to eternal life. And, and death now no longer has any power, or any hold over him. And if it doesn't have any dominion over him, it doesn't have any dominion over those that belong to him. We can be freed from death. He freed those who were all their lifetime subject to bondage, How beautiful is that? Jesus himself comes into this world as a man and frees humanity from this plague. And in doing this, he fulfills God's promise of restoration. You see, man had life. They were created in life, but they brought death through disobedience. And Jesus restores life by giving life through obedience. You see the contrast? Sin and death lead to... Sin and disobedience lead to death, but righteousness and obedience to God leads to life. Those are the options that we have. And Jesus came to restore the pathway to life and restore obedience to life. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21 and 22, it says, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even, as, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, there's a clear contrast that Christ came to establish and, and reestablish the order that God created, reestablish the, the pattern of life that God created wanted us to to experience in the first place. If we go down the pathway of Adam in sin and death, that's in in disobedience, that leads us to death. But if we follow the pattern of Christ, that leads us to life. And and again, 
He fulfills this because it was a human life that brought death into the world. It was a human life that brought resurrection from the dead. How amazing is that as God uh, carries this, this out? And so I want to make clear that that doesn't mean automatic life for all people. Uh, because sin, when Adam and Eve committed sin, didn't mean automatic death for all people. But it, it, simply, it simply means that we are now capable of following that pattern. And, and there's a new pattern to follow in Christ that can and will lead us to life. And Jesus now is the example that we look to because He did what mankind could not do. He perfectly obeyed God and He resisted the temptation of, of Satan. Jesus comes into this world and because He came as a man, He is the perfect image of God. Remember, humanity was created in the image of God. Christ is the perfect image of God as a man. He is the fulfiller of what mankind couldn't do. Hebrews chapter 1, 2, and 3, it says, "...that God hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the world." Sounds a lot like John chapter 1 that we read just now. <clears throat> Verse 3, "...who being in the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the power of His word, when He hath by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high." Notice the description it gives here of Jesus. It says, He is the express image of His person. Jesus is the perfect image of God. Man was created in God's image, and they failed. Jesus is God's image, and He succeeded. And, and through His sacrifice, He brings redemption from sin and from death. He is everything that mankind should have been as representatives of God in this world and more. And in bringing this restoration, He is the new standard for humanity and how to live in holiness to God and, and live how we should live in this world as representatives of God. That's how Jesus comes and accomplishes this. Think about this as He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and this is why. Do you believe this? What does it mean for us why is it such a big deal? Why should we even care about this resurrection? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul gives us a very stark reality. Is if, if there is no resurrection, if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished, if in, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. What a sad scenario to think about if the resurrection is not true. Christ did not raise, He was not raised from the dead. He was simply a man that thought He was God, that lied to the people, and was put to death by Romans and buried. That's it. 
There's no significance to who he is. There's no significance to his life. And if he wasn't raised from the dead, then he's not who he said he was. And, and he's not who the Bible says he is. The Son of God, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, coming into this world as a form of man, God himself. If Jesus was not raised because there is no resurrection, then he was a liar and he's not risen. And if, if he was a liar and all these things are fake and false and the resurrection is not true, then our faith is vain. What we subject ourselves to, denying ourselves, not following the pattern of sin, coming together to worship God, singing praises to Him, partaking of the communion, helping one another, loving one another, doesn't matter. We're wasting our time being here if the resurrection is not true. If the resurrection is not true, the apostles themselves are liars. They went and bled and died for nothing. They suffered persecution and martyrdom for no reason. All for lies. Because they went around telling people that God raised Jesus up from the dead. But if there's no resurrection, the apostles are liars. And if Jesus isn't who he said he was, if he's not really risen from the dead, if, if uh, our faith is vain, if the apostles are liars, and this whole thing is a sham, and we're wasting our time, then we still have our sins, and we are still guilty of those sins. Our sins haven't been removed. The cleansing of the conscience that you feel because you were faithful and obedient to God, not real, if the resurrection isn't true. And if the resurrection isn't true, sadly, all the people that we love, that we know were in Christ, that died and we long to see one day, we'll never see them. They've just simply died. And that's all we have to look forward to, is just, just dying. the resurrection isn't true, our hope is vain. We are of all men most miserable, wasting our time, subjecting ourselves to self-denial for no reason. It's pretty serious if the resurrection were not true. But, but, <clears throat> now Christ is risen from the dead. And became the firstfruits of them that slept. He was the first one to rise from the dead to eternal life. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and, and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. The resurrection is true, and thank God for that, because if we didn't, we would not have hope. But because the resurrection is true, we can have hope. The resurrection is true. He is risen from the dead. He is the first to rise from the dead. He did create the pattern. The apostles are not liars. Our faith is not vain. Jesus is who He said He is. He was risen from the dead. And we have a cleansing of the conscience and peace that passes all understanding because of the blood of Jesus and us being washed in that. And because the resurrection is true, if we are in Christ, we can experience a bodily resurrection. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. He says, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised Jesus up from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies 
by His Spirit that dwells in you. What an amazing thought, because the resurrection is true, we can experience a bodily resurrection. And Jesus is true when He says, those that live and believe in Me, though they be dead, they, they will not die. If we believe in Christ, we'll never die. And this is the reason, because if we have the Spirit of Christ in us, and we're one with Him, and He is one with us, then our mortal bodies are going to experience life once again, even though we might die. Because the resurrection is true, we can have hope of inheriting the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, it says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Our physical form cannot inherit the kingdom of God. When Christ comes back into this world, He's not coming to establish an earthly kingdom because we cannot inherit the kingdom of God in this bodily form. We need something different, and He's going to provide that. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, this physical body, this corruptible body that dies and decays, but must put on incorruption. This mortal This mortal body that we have must put on immortality. And so when Jesus appears, we'll be changed into whatever He is. We don't know what that is yet, but when He comes back, we'll we'll be like He is, and we will be able to, to enter in and experience the fullness of the kingdom of God and inherit the kingdom because we'll no longer be flesh and blood. We'll be changed. And because the resurrection is true, we can have hope to inherit the kingdom of God. Because the resurrection is true, we can... Be taken up, as it says, when, when the end cometh, he'll have delivered up the kingdom to God. When the end comes, if we're in Christ, because the resurrection is true, we can escape damnation. John chapter 5, verse 28 says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life. They that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. Everyone, when Jesus comes back, will be raised up. And if because the resurrection is true, we can have hope to be raised in the resurrection of life and to escape the damnation, the resurrection of damnation, it says. His, his resurrection is proof, is the proof and the guarantee behind our hope to escape that destruction of hell and receive a new body that's capable of living in the presence and the glory of God for eternity. That is why it matters. That is why it's important to us. That's why we should care very deeply about the resurrection and about Jesus and about what He's done for our life. And I think all of this, as we talk about Jesus being the, the, the Redeemer, the fulfiller of the promise that God established, He is the one that came, and, and now we're seeing this. We can have this hope to be raised for, to eternal life and to experience life just like Jesus did, eternal life. I think that begs the question, how can we now partake of the resurrection of life? I want that, and I hope that you do too, and that's a question we should ask. How do I participate in that? How do I partake of that? How can I be secured and sealed in that promise and that power? Well, thank thank goodness the Bible has answers for us. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 4. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, told them this. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach to you, by which, uh, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So what Paul talks about 
when he writes to the Corinthians explaining the gospel to them, he says, by which you are saved, this is what they received, he told them about Christ's death, about Christ's burial, and about Christ's resurrection. Those are three key facts when we think about what the gospel is. This is central to the message of the gospel, Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. Well, it is the resurrection of Jesus that empowers the power of salvation. If this is what saved the Corinthians, it's the resurrection, God says, that, that He enables the power for us to be saved through. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-4, through it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who which according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we can now experience a lively hope, a living hope. And we can be begotten again. We can be born again, is what he says. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. When we hear that phrase, being saved by grace, it means that we're saved because God has joined us together and made us alive together with his Son. And so the resurrection, the fact that Jesus exercised that power of life and was raised up from Hades and came back from that place and was put back into his body and raised up and changed and, and, and raised up to eternal life to sit on the right hand of the Father. The fact that he did that, God will join us to that same pattern. And he'll make us alive that's what that word quickened means. He makes us alive together with His Son. That's gracious. For God to give us instruction on, on how we as dirty sinners can, can submit to Him and be cleansed and be joined together in life. That's the grace that we're saved by. But there's more questions. If the gospel is the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus, if it's the resurrection that enables this, and if we're put into this pattern, we can be joined together with Him. How in the world do we do that? Well, again, the Bible has the answers for us. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Paul said this, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted or united as it says, and, and together in the likeness of His death will also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Colossians chapter 2 says it this way, and you, remember, we read Colossians 2 verse 9, that Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, and He continues, and you are complete in Him. We find our completeness in Jesus. He says, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You see, we can connect this to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, we're quickened together with Him. That's the grace we're saved by. Paul writes here even further. He uses that same phrase. We've been quickened together with Him. And we know that because our sins have been forgiven, and we know our sins have been forgiven because we've died and put off the body of sins. But He says that occurs, we die, when we're buried with Him in baptism. And so, just as Jesus, when we think about the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, 
we can participate in that through our faith and obedience to the will of God to also participate in that same pattern. When we make the decision to put off the body of sins and, and repent and to follow a new path, what we do is follow the instruction of the scriptures. And Paul says when we're baptized, in, when we're, baptized when we're immersed, we're being immersed into the death of Christ. And what we're showing is that just like Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And we're raised up out of the water, having, our, having had our sins washed away, and now to live in newness of life. It's gracious that God would allow us, as weak and sinful people, to have instruction and the knowledge that we need to experience life again. And this is how we're born again. Because before we're baptized, we're dead. After we're baptized into Christ, we become alive. We're born again. We're begotten again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Peter 3.21, he says the like figure, speaking of Noah and the flood and the fact that, that all the sin and, and wickedness was destroyed by water and Noah and his family were saved by water because they were in the ark lifted up and then they, they start new life. He says the like figure where, whereunto even baptism does also now save us. It's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus. The power of baptism, the power of salvation that God has enabled and enacted is enabled because of the resurrection of Jesus. And we can experience life if we're in Christ. And I want to take note what Peter says here. When we're baptized, it's not just an empty ritual. Not at all. It's the answer of your conscience to God. It's important for us to understand that. By Christ's resurrection, it is by His resurrection that we've been born again from a life of death in our sins to, or rather, from, from life to... Uh, from a life of death in our sins and put us into new life, into newness of life. God, it's God that has ordained that we should be baptized into Christ's death, accessing and being bound to the power of the resurrection, and He will raise us up to walk in newness of life. This not only adds us to Christ right now, it's a picture of the hope that we have in Christ to experience the bodily resurrection, just like He had, and what we read in Romans chapter 8. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of the life. And he asked, do you believe this? We need to think about this and answer that for ourselves. Do you believe this? You know, if, if a person is reading this and hearing these things and, and simply cast these off, we're making the answer of our conscience quite clear to God. If we don't trust and obey the commandments that God gives us, then we don't believe. We have a duty. If we do believe... The answer of our conscience to God is yes, and we believe this, and we love this, and we want to live in Christ. Then we have a duty to God. Because it doesn't end with baptism. That's just the beginning of our new life. If we wish to be in Christ and receive the resurrection of life, as those that have been baptized and joined with Him in the power of His resurrection, we must live a life of godliness. We cannot stress this part enough. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, If you then be risen with Christ, 
You know, he talks to, to, to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 2 about how they were joined together in Christ and how they were buried with Christ in baptism and made alive together again with Him and risen with Him through the power of God. And he says, if you then be risen with Christ, if you've been raised up to walk in newness of life with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. In, in other words, if you are a Christian, live like it. If you've been joined to Christ through baptism, live like it. We can choose to live in the pattern of Adam and die, or we can choose to live in the pattern of Christ, which is righteousness unto life. In fact, Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says that. Know ye not to, that you are servants of, of whom you, you choose to obey, whether sin unto death or obedience unto life. It's your choice. But I hope that you'll choose life. And if you're one that is risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Live like it. Because it matters. And then help other people do the same. This is such an important central piece to our faith, the resurrection of Jesus, that we should be compelled to share it with other people. Colossians chapter 1, 28 says, Whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect or complete, in Jesus Christ. Paul wanted everyone to, to experience the completeness that is in Jesus, and we ought to want that as well. And that's the message of the gospel that, that impacts us, and it changes us, and we want to share it with others so that they might be changed as well. The Great Commission isn't an empty commandment, <clears throat> but we should be compelled by love to warn people about the reality of sin, about the reality of death, and teach them about the completeness and freedom we can experience because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. Mankind sinned. God promised that He would fix it. Jesus came into this world to fix the problem. By man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Now think about all these things as we've, as we've examined what the Scriptures say about the resurrection of Christ, how He accomplished the promise of God, how He fulfilled this, and the duty we have if we want to experience the resurrection. If we want to experience a bodily resurrection and inherit the kingdom and be changed and live with Him for eternity. Just as He told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.